Good morning, and welcome to New York Sports and Beyond here on 98.7 ESPN, where our goal every week is to entertain, enlighten, and expose you to information that can lead to positive change in your life. I'm Larry Hardesty. We have several guests for you this morning. Earlier on ESPN New York Tonight, I had a chance to speak with State Senator Jamar Bailey, who's been on this show a couple of times. And what I wanted to do is, with all the discussion of where do we move forward on the unfortunate murder of George Floyd and others who have suffered at the hands of violence of the police, how do we make changes via the vote? Well, we'll have kind of a history legislative branch discussion with Jamal Bailey inside this edition of New York Sports and Beyond. Then later this morning, we'll chat with Rich Lisk. He serves as executive vice president for GF Sports and for the New York Riptide. They're a lacrosse team on Long Island that's been going through a lot of adjustments because of COVID-19. And plus, Rich has a very interesting story about some of the challenges he faced coming up. So, as I always suggest, be prepared to take down some valuable information you hear on the show this morning, and we thank you for allowing us to be a part of your Sunday. We'll talk legislative branch next on New York Sports and Beyond on 98.7 ESPN. Welcome back to New York Sports and Beyond. I'm Larry Hardesty. Join me in welcoming back to the show State Senator Jamal Bailey. Jamal Bailey, Senator for the 36th District of the New York Senate, that includes portions of Baychester, Bedford Park, Country Club, Eastchester, Fordham, Morris Park, Norwood, Parkchester, Riverdale, Tremont, Wakefield, Williamsbridge, and Woodlawn in the Bronx, as well as Mount Vernon in Westchester County. State Senator Bailey, welcome back to ESPN New York. Larry, thank you for having me. Senator Bailey, we had a, we had a poll last night, and I was asking my audience, where do we, what do we need to do to move forward? How do we handle this moving forward? And they said it's about getting out to vote. So there were a number of questions voting wise. So I want you to think about this as 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 folks who fell asleep in their class on government <laughs> in high school. No problem. <laughs> and who missed out on voting and legislatures and stuff like that. But first of all, seriously, how are your constituents doing? How are they dealing with this tragedy? It is. It's. It's. It's been tough. I, I represent a community, a district comprised um, majority of the people that are in my district are people of color. Um, many of who have had incidences in their own personal lives or have felt tragedies related to police misconduct in the past, and it maybe it's the convergence of the fact that we've been in quarantine for so long, and maybe it's because uh, at least in my humble opinion, the, the, the killing and I believe murder of uh, George Floyd was so egregious and caught on video. I think that's why it's even more traumatic. And, and we are doing what we can and, and letting people know that it's okay to protest. It's okay to let your voices be heard, but we have to make sure that people understand that, that, that there's dissent in democracy without destruction. You don't have to destroy your communities in order to simply be able to dissent and peacefully protest. We have to make our voices heard. Any kind of change that we've ever gotten in this country um, uh, socially were because people stood up and they dissented based upon what was happening. Um, we just have to even do that in a way that we're not destroying our community. And, and, I, and I've been speaking up, and for the most part, my community is really stepping up, and they're doing it in a, in a great way. And the frustrating thing about it, uh, Mr. Bailey, is very simple, is that not only does it deter from what we're doing, and the message we're trying to have, but it also ruins the economics in our community, which is already struggling because of the Corona-19 virus. You know, it is, it is the, the imperfect storm. Uh, we're, we're by far the hardest hit um, by Corona, by, by the COVID-19 crisis, uh, based upon some of the, um, the, 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 the pre-existing medical conditions that our communities have had because of lack of health care and because of lack of economic opportunity. And, um, and now what's happening with this situation with the, with the, the recent killing of George Floyd and the Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor and even Eric Garner and going back so many times that this is, this is really um, bringing back so many harmful memories for so many people in our communities. And, and it's kind of when is enough enough and it's it's been a tough time but i I think that we are resilient people not just communities of color but i think we're resilient people in this state and i and i and i believe that um together we're we're going to be able to get through this i truly believe that 
State Senator Bailey, there's been a number of things and a number of issues that we've had discussed. It's been discussed on all the shows here on 98.7 ESPN, and that is concern about what we've seen with police, how they handle the chokehold, for example, what we saw, unfortunately, with Mr. Floyd uh, that led to his death. Uh, how can we as voters let our representatives know that we want some type of reform? How can that happen? How do we do that? What What's the legislative way to get that done? So the, so the first way is to understand how things get done in your state government, right? Uh, New York has what's called the bicameral house. We have two houses. We have the state assembly and the state senate. In order for us to be able to make anything a law, right, it has to pass the assembly and the senate and also be signed by the governor. In the New York state senate, there are 63 members, so you need a majority um, of you need 32 people. That means you need 32 members of the New York State Senate to be able to vote affirmatively for that piece of legislation. And that comes first. That's that first is just knowing who your representatives are, um, mm-hmm. that, that you should know who represents you. If you're in the city, if you're in Westchester, Long Island, if you're in Jersey, if you're in Connecticut, I don't know. I don't know the, the, the political systems in Jersey and Connecticut as well as I know New York State. Mm-hmm. But uh, they're gen- generally similar, at least I know in New Jersey with the Assembly and the Senate. But you have to know who represents you and understand that voting isn't something we do every four years for the president. Voting is something that we do every year. As I said, as I say, I'll say it a hundred times. If there is an election, you should you have to vote in it. If they still elect dog catchers, I don't even know if they, if they ever did elect dog catchers. Right. I know the phrase. Right. But mm-hmm. if they elect a dog catcher in your area. You have to vote for that for that dog catcher. Every single thing that you do, that we do in society, is predicated upon your participation in government. Um, it, you know, it's critical that people put their voices up and make sure that they start to vote, that they know who the representatives are, and that they contact their representatives when they're passionate about a piece of legislation. And don't be afraid to ask questions. There's no such thing as a bad question. Um, the, the bad question that's asked is the unasked question. So hold us accountable because we work for you. Uh, I know you've heard this because I've heard it a lot. They're going to put in who they want to put in. I don't waste my time voting. It's fixed. It's rigged. I, I voted. My guy didn't win. My, the lady I voted for, she didn't win. I'm not. I'm done. What do you say to that? I would say that. We've had a district attorney's race in Queens decided by less than 100 votes. We've had state assembly races in the Bronx decided by less than 10 votes. Um, we have had um, there, there have been races in Virginia, most famously Virginia, where the control of the Virginia State Senate was predicated upon a coin flip because it was a literal tie. So if you were in Virginia and you didn't vote for Shelley Simons, right? And, 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 uh, and she was the, she was a Democrat and she was running for state Senate in Virginia. If Ms. Simons had won, they would have won democratic control in, 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 uh, in the Virginia state Senate for the first time in quite some time. If one person, literally one person went to the polls to vote for Ms. Simons on that day, the entire like the, the the hands are in different like the the legislative branch of the state the state senate's control is in different hands and this is an, this isn't a partisan thing I, I happen to be a democrat that's who i am but it's about what, what whatever party you're enrolled in or if you're not enrolled in a party you gotta vote it counts trust me my guest is State Senator Jamal Bailey. You're listening to ESPN New York tonight here on 98.7 ESPN. You know, there, there's a, speaking of partisan and nonpartisan uh, state senator, there's always this discussion of among African Americans like, okay, we need our, who wants our vote? Come, come, come make our vote worthwhile. How, you know, what do we need to do to make our vote more uh, appealing so that people feel candidates feel that you know what and and as black and brown folks okay this is what we're going to do to get your vote how how do we do that i think that people have to one make themselves avail themselves of everything that they can right ensuring again making sure that they're registered to vote and they should come to us come to their elected officials or the candidates that are running for office with concrete issues and concerns that they have and you should vote for the candidate that you believe would address these 
um, these concerns most efficiently, right? Uh, and, and it's about accountability. Um, elected officials work for their constituents. It's not it's not the other way around, right? Like sometimes uh, elected officials are, are are looked at as as the individuals who get the 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 acclaim. When in reality, what what's what's happening is that I work for the three hundred eighteen thousand people in thirty six senatorial district. Mm. I am their employee, right? And much like any employer-employee relationship, it has to be a give and take. Um, I, I ask that um, my constituents come to me when they have issues and concerns, but they give me the time and the ability and, and my wonderful staff the time and the ability to be able to solve their problems. Um, and, and, and in the same vein, I can't in good faith ask for people to come vote for me if I'm not holding up to my end of the bargain, if I'm not doing everything I can to ensure that I'm delivering for the people of my constituents, much my, of my constituency, not just from a um, on the ground perspective, but most importantly, that from a policy perspective, I'm a policymaker and it's my job to ensure that I'm drafting laws that will enact great societal change and make people's lives in my district better in the entire state. A lot of conversation state Senator about voting. Absentee ballots, early voting now because of COVID-19. How can we find out what options we have? Because because this is that four-year election, all right? And, yes, you're right. You're supposed to vote every year. But this is the big one. (laughs) This is the real big one. So how do we know what what, what our options are? So, again, this is about knowing where you're you're, – who your representatives are and reaching out to them about the, about the absentee ballot. So in New York state this year's primary, if, if there, if there is a primary, it is going to be on June 23rd and you can, and you can request an absentee ballot and no excuse absentee ballot because of the COVID-19 crisis this year. But one of the great things that we finally did in New York state last year, and it was a, a good friend of mine, Zelno Amari, a brother who I've known for, um, uh, quite some time. He, he's also a state senator, and, and his bill allowed early voting in, in New York State. So we, we have early voting now, and we have absentee ballots. So there there should not be an excuse why somebody within the sound of my voice that is enrolled in a party that has a primary should not be voting on June 23rd. I don't, I don't think there's there's an excuse. And then after that, we have the same we have the same um, the same thing for election day, which is this year November third, and so we have we consolidated state and local primaries in New York. They used to be in June and September, but we, um, we did we made everything state, local, and federal primaries in all in June. So we have June twenty third, November third. That's when you should be heard. So, state senator, here, here's what you here's what you've said to me basically in our chat tonight. And I warned you that this was going to be a basic lesson in legislature and laws and stuff. And, no and, and what you, what you've said to us is, uh, do your homework, go online, find out who represents you, find out what they stand for. Okay. Go to them, ask questions, make your vote count because these are things, if we want to turn things around, if we are unhappy, if there's things in our community we don't like, there's a way, there's leverage that we have because we have voted previously or going out to vote that we can turn some things around and we have to do the work on our own. I would say that's a great start, right? Mm-hmm. I, and, I, and I think that it's, I think that's an incredible start for us to have. I think that it's also as much as you hold elected officials accountable, um, we have to hold each other accountable. And that means me as a, as a, as a constituent to my other elected officials that, that, that represent me, as well as um, as well as the state senator, I have to be I have to be be willing to meet people, whether it's halfway, a quarter way, whatever level of my ability is to meet someone. I have to be willing to do that. Um, and in government, we recognize that there are some people who can't meet us any part of the way, and that's when we have to make sure that we go out there and serve as that uh, safety net for them. But by and large. I represent a district, again, of 318,000 people, and I would say this, that I, I, me and my staff, we do our best to figure out everything that's happening. But there's no possibility that we can know everything that's happening in my district if you're not telling us. Speak up, make sure your voices are heard, and then hold us accountable for it. Last question. How do we turn this around? How do we – and it's going to be a long road. I got it. 
how do we begin to make sure everybody understands that this was a turning point, that that this man was murdered by law enforcement officers. And look, State Senator, I'm going to say it, it's obvious. We know that all the police are not bad. We know that all of them do, most of them do a phenomenal job. They put their lives on the line. Understood. We thank them for what they do. But there are a few. And quite frankly, State Senator, those few bad ones make it awful for the ones who are doing the work they're supposed to be doing. The police who are, who are part of PAL, the, who are or in the communities who are doing positive things after they get off their shift or on their days off. We understand that. But so everybody can come together and say, you know what? We need to make a change. How do we do it? How do we start? Larry, you, you, you took a lot of my answer, man, <laughs> in the question. But no, but, but in all seriousness, like, like any, any, any interview that I've given recently, and, and I'm the lead sponsor of a bill called, um, it's the repeal of 50A, which, which talks about police disciplinary records, right? Mm. And we have this binary, this, this binary idea in our society that if you're pro something, you have to be anti something else, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and, it, and that's not the case. I, I'm a Knicks fan but I'm not an anti everybody else in the NBA fan. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, like to make it a sports analogy, you said it, the vast majority of police are not only good, they're great. They do things that I can't do. They run into danger. When I run away there, like, so like just because you want accountability from your police officers and to be able to know who's policing you, that doesn't mean that you don't respect police. And I, and I want to make that abundantly clear. Um, at the same time, I think there's a recognition now in society. There's a recognition now that finally people understand why Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf didn't stand sometimes and why uh-huh. Colin Kaepernick knelt. People are finally understanding that. And, it's, and, and it has nothing to do with people trying to do something for the sake of doing it. It is a belief in silent, quiet protest. And and people had a problem with Colin mm-hmm. when he took that knee, peacefully protesting, because you didn't hear us when Eric Garner got choked in um, Staten Island, when Ramali Graham had cops running into his house, Sean Bell and Anthony Baez and Ant- and Eleanor Bumper, and the list goes on and on and on. They 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 didn't hear us when we said their names before, but now what we see with George Floyd. People are starting to realize that this is something that we all need to change together. And those of us with the privilege and the ability to do so, we must act. As a legislator, I must act or else I'm not sufficient or not fit for the job if I'm not acting at a pivotal point like this. This is this is the job. This is where this is where where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. It's not just taking pictures and, and and being able to, to, to do cool things. It's, it's taking tough votes and doing tough things. And um, I think people are starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. It, it's very simple. When you go for a job interview, people look at your record, and that determines whether you get the job or not. That's standard. And it should be the same for law enforcement officers. If they have issues, if they have records, they have problems on their record, then they either should be reassigned or some other option, but they should not be on the streets. It's very simple. State Senator, it's real simple to me. It's real simple. It's the same, it's the same thing in any job. And uh, you want accountability with your elected officials. You want accountability with your teachers, your doctors, your lawyers, your nurses. We want accountability. Um, but at the same time, you know, we, we simply just can't say that because we want accountability, because we want transparency, because we, we, we want to know who is um, po- who, who, the people that are policing our streets um, that, we're, that we're not supportive of our brothers and sisters in law enforcement who risk their lives. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I guess I'll, I'll bring it back to that. We, I think we did, there's a consistent recognition that that takes place. But um, I, I just, I, I just want to drive home the point that Times like this are where we really have to continue the positive effect that we've had. We have to continue 
the togetherness that we have. We have to be able to continue that because we can't just keep it up for two weeks and then let it fall by the wayside. That that leaves us in a worse place than we than we um than we've been before. The work begins when the protest ends, because eventually it will, and and that's when the real work begins to make sure that it's not the the whole idea is not hijacked again. That's that's the yeah. challenge we have, and and it's going to be a big one. State Senator Jamal Bailey for the thirty sixth district of the New York State Senate. Thank you for joining us, my friend. Always good to talk to you. Larry, going forward, just call me Jamal, man. The the the, the senator stuff is the uh, rather rather formal, but I appreciate it, brother. Thank you so much for the time and opportunity. I appreciate it. I appreciate that, and I will do that going forward. But you you've earned the you've earned the respect, my friend. So you get it. Thank <laughs> Thanks. You. you and your family stay well. You Take as well. Dr. Right. You and Jeanette. Take care. Always good to hear from the state senator, and hopefully from that interview, you'll remember to get out and vote, and make sure you're registered to vote. When we return, we'll turn our attention to lacrosse. That's next on New York Sports and Beyond on 98.7 ESPN. You're listening to New York Sports and Beyond. I'm Larry Hardesty. Rich Lisk serves as executive vice president for GF Sports, and he has expanded his role to oversee all lacrosse and business operations for the New York Riptide of the National Lacrosse League. In addition to his role with the Riptide, Lisk will continue to provide sales, marketing, and operation leadership across GF Sports' portfolio of live sports and entertainment properties. He joined GF Sports as an EVP, executive vice president, in January of this year. He's got more than 25 years of experience in the sports industry, and prior to joining GF Sports, Lisk was general manager for the New England Black Wolves. During his tenure, the team went to the playoffs four consecutive seasons, and inside lacrosse recognized Lisk as his 2016 general manager of the year for his work. Join me in saying good morning to Rich Lisk, executive vice president of the New York Riptide and GF Sports. Hi, Rich. Hey, Larry. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing great. Thanks for stopping by on an early Sunday morning <laughs> to, to chat with my audience and I. Rich, tell me. Tell me about the New York Riptide and the, the success you had in a brief inaugural season. Yeah, you know what? We we started in uh, December uh, with the Riptide playing at Nassau Coliseum, our inaugural season. Um, I was actually with another team to start the season, and then I came over here in January, so um, I got here right around the January 3rd time frame. And, um, you know, we were, were re-energizing and bringing box across back to Long Island after I believe it was 12 or 13 years. And um, we were making some really good strides. We were really doing a lot of cool things. We had a, an initiative that we were doing our own box league where kids could play in a league before our games and things. And then, you know, the pandemic hits. Um, but we were starting to see some really good crowds and things. And then we had to adjust our plans a little bit when this whole thing happened. And uh, the league then canceled uh, the remaining three games. I believe it was three games that we had. And uh, we kind of went into our off season because I will say we were making strides um, off the field by doing a lot of stuff. But on the field, we were one in 12. Mm-hmm. So um, even when the league decided that let's, let's go on hiatus for everything, let's look at a playoff format, um, we weren't included in that playoff format. We were mathematically eliminated. So when they canceled the season, it really started our off season, and we're getting prepared for next year as we uh, as we speak. Rich, what did you learn from those games? What did you learn about the organization? What did you learn about your players? What did you learn that you can take into improving for next season? You know, first and foremost, I learned that this is a great ownership group. Gary Furman and Eric Baker head up our, our, our GF Sports division, and, and we're you know, we're in the GF Capital family with the other things that we also have with the Atlanta Open and the New York Open and the AKC Meet the Breeds. Um, but first and foremost, an organization starts with great owners, and they have given us some tremendous, tremendous resources to work with and want to see this happen and, and want to see it happen for the right reasons, mm-hmm. not just what goes on the field, but a lot what goes off the field, too. We're going to become and have started to become a fabric in the community with our, our partners. I don't like to say sponsors. Um, not that that's a bad word, but I do have a fine jar on my desk. If you say sponsor, you got to put a dollar in because everybody's a partner. And I think a partner has a vested interest in everything we do. And um, we have a lot of partners on the island that we've been working with, like Jersey Mike's and Mass Pet Federal and Orland and Cohen. And that, to me, was a huge selling point for me to come here from another team um, because of the ownership group and the resources and, and the foundation they set here. And the one thing people have to realize about our players is that they don't 
technically live here all year round. Mm-hmm. A couple do live here for six, seven months, but our guys fly in on the weekends and play. And when they start their day on a Friday to get here for a Saturday game, the minute they land, they have woven themselves into the fabric of Long Island with clinics and hospital visits and school visits and things. And those are really the things that I look at now that I can take away and say, okay, these are the things we've done really, really well. This is what's transit. Now let's grow and expand on that going into next year. What's the challenge for your players to, I mean, that's a lot, Rich. You, you, they're oh. obviously doing something else. They fly in. Now they're, they're, they're doing the community stuff. They're playing games and they're back out again. That's, that's a challenge. Yes. Huge challenge. I mean, like our goalie is an insurance adjuster that lives in Vancouver and he wow. flies across the country from Vancouver to get here for a game, um, does some community stuff, even at our games. So you figure, so let, I'll give you a typical day. If, if we had a game on a Saturday, guys will fly in Friday, get in sometime around between, you know, three and five, three and six o'clock. Mm-hmm. Um, we have some people set up for interviews. We have some people to go on visits. And then we try to practice around nine o'clock. Till about 11, then they go back, we eat, and then they go to the hotel. We get up at 9, we go and practice again, and then we take Saturday where guys are involved in our box league that are take place before the game, or guys are doing a hospital visit, or guys are visiting sponsors, and then they, they take a nap somewhere in there after they eat lunch, and then we get on, um, they get up at 5 and walk to the arena, play the game, and then usually after the game for about another hour, we're bringing guys out on the floor taking pictures. We actually put a goalie in the net and let that mm. kid take shots on them, um, things like that. And then we do an after party um, where fans come and meet us at like a, an establishment like the Green Turtle. That's one of our partners. And then they get up the next morning and fly home and uh, start their normal day, uh, start their normal life. So it's a rough uh, thing that they do. And, the thing that I look for as, as the guy in, in charge of the organization is I want guys that have character and understand that this is their home and mm. they're not characters that just want to fly in and play lacrosse. Like, if you want to be a lacrosse player, great. Do you want to be a, a riptide player on Long Island is what I want. And those are the type of guys we get here. And that allows them and wants them to do the other stuff that we include and not just the games that they have to play. That's the voice of Rich Lisk. He's the executive vice president of the New York Riptide and also GF Sports. You're listening to New York Sports and Beyond here on 98.7 ESPN. I'm Larry Hardesty. Rich, what is it about lacrosse that's growing? It's it, it's it's growing and growing, and your league is growing and growing. What is it about the sport of lacrosse right now that's, you know, not, not to say take of the world by storm, but you can see that it's increasing and making its niche? Yeah, you know what I, I think, and, and I, I kind of look at this because I have I have two sons and both played mm-hmm. lacrosse. Um, I grew up playing baseball, you know, football, basketball. Those were our things. Even the, even the kid on my block who played soccer was an anomaly at, at that mm-hmm. point because where I grew up, everyone played those three sports. And and I liken it to like so my sons played hockey also, and they thought baseball might have been a little slow for them. It wasn't fast paced enough. So I think when you're in lacrosse especially in, in, in our game on the inside part of it, there's a lot of action that goes on, and there's a lot of movement, and there's a lot of the ball being thrown around, and it's got a little bit of that physical element to it that, mm-hmm. that kids are liking and, and things. So I think it's that, from my take on it and just being living that lifestyle of lacrosse, mm-hmm. I think that's really um, taken off, and, and it's really kind of – supplanting and i don't mean this in a bad way but kids are playing less baseball and more lacrosse because i think it's just more action and more running and more chances with the ball you're not and again i'm a baseball player i grew up playing baseball i thought i was going to be the shortstop of the yankees so it's my love mm-hmm. but sometimes you got to go play right field and yeah. when you got to go play right field it's tough um in, in lacrosse there's no right field really you're you're right in the action at all times and i think that really translates to, to the youth nowadays and if baseball doesn't get their act together, Rich, they're going to lose some more young people. <laughs> I know. I know what's going on. It's so it's so tough, right? When you get to that level of money and, and, and things, it's it's a whole different ballgame. No, no question point. about it. Now, Rich, what did you guys do, meaning the Riptide, to help folks in the community during the COVID-19 pandemic? I know you guys were doing a bunch of different things. Why don't you highlight some of the things you and your partners did? I don't want to, get, I don't want to put any money in your fine jar. 
don't put money in. I'm going to put, I'll send that sign jar right over to you. So, um, I'll start off by talking about Mass Pets Federal. So throughout the year, Mass, Pet, Mass Pets Federal and us had a partnership where $5 went for every save we made. Now, the, the, I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing. When I'm the G, you know, I, I, I take care of the team. Um, it's probably not a good thing. We gave up a lot of shots. On the, my marketing business side, it, it added money to the pot because we gave up a lot of shots. So we were able to um, take that money with them as our partner and go, and, and we presented a check for $5,000 to um, Catholic Charities to give money towards PPEs and, and COVID relief. And we did that right at the very beginning of this whole thing. Then we went to one of our partners, uh, Jersey Mike's. Love Jersey Mike's. found an... Uh, so do I. Point Pleasant, New Jersey, where I'm, uh, where I'm born and bred in that part of New Jersey. So, yeah, it's, a, it's near and dear to my heart, too. And uh, so we, we went with them, and we found a niche that really needed some help, and it was that senior care, that senior living mm. aspect. And we went and delivered over 1,600 meals over five weeks for them and with our mascot and with our players, and that went over really well. And then Orlin and Cohen, who is uh, truly, truly a, a huge partner for us and a, and a very good partner for us, um, we're developing right now. Um, we've made masks, we, the Yowzi masks with their logo and stuff on them. So you'll start seeing them in the marketplace. And we're developing a, um, and we have developed, and it's going to be launched here in the next couple of weeks. We've developed the first, uh, 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 like a, it, our colors lend itself to look like a, a hospital mock-up of, of, okay. of the scrubs. Okay. So okay. we have that um, being put out with a superhero cape on the back. And we are going to be strategically putting them into the marketplace. We're going to be selling a certain amount of them. And that money, all the proceeds are going to go to a a charity that we pick with Orlin and Cohen. That's part of the COVID-19 relief. So that's going to be a big undertaking that we're looking to do here in the next, uh, the next four weeks. I have the jerseys being produced. They look great. They got the cape on the back. They got the stethoscope on the front. Mm. We got the number 20 for the season we're coming up with. We're going to strategically um, start placing them into the marketplace, and then we're going to have them for sale, and those proceeds are going to go to COVID-19 relief on behalf of our partner, Orlin and Cohen. So those are some of the things that we really highlighted in this in this pandemic. Now, Rich, I know you have uh, a virtual 5K that's coming up later this month. Mm-hmm. How are you going to do that? Is that going to, are you going to practice social distancing? Are you going to have masks? That, that's what I need to know for my folks yes. who might want to come out and help you out. Absolutely. So I, my goal, and, and I've started running a couple of years ago, um, and I, I and I really got bit by the bug. So my staff, especially Jen Hildebrand, my director of PR and marketing, and Mark Gerstein, my director of ticket sales, um, we all came up with this idea to do a 5K. And we were mm-hmm. trying to do it on our last game, like a family 5K. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about even having before the game players run with them and, wow. and do that and have like a family atmosphere before the game. And then we'd all go into and, and watch and play the game, players and fans. And then this whole thing hit, so we couldn't do it. Um, so we decided to take it virtual. And um, there's two levels. There's a $15 level and a $35 level. Comes with tickets to our opening night game, but all the proceeds are going to go to COVID-19 relief efforts. And we're going to ask you to sign up between now and I believe it's June 30th. And then on June 30th, wherever you are in the world, you can do it anywhere you are in the world, you can go that day and run your 5K Take a picture. We're going to have wallpaper and stuff that you can do with bibs and things um, for your social media. Send us that, and then we're going to highlight all the runners throughout. And that'll be our first inaugural one as virtual, and I'm hoping next year that it becomes in person. Now, how can folks sign up for that, Rich? Right on our website. Go right on our website, NewYorkRiptide.com. It's right there, uh, the first thing you see. And um, and I, it's a way that our players are going to do it. We're going to send messages to fans, too. Um, people when they're running from our players and, and stuff. It's going to be fun. We're going we're gonna to make it as interactive and as fun as possible, even though we're all not together. Yeah, and, and that's the challenge, right? <laughs> that's the challenge. That's what makes all of our creative minds work overtime. Rich, tell me about GF Sports. Great organization. Started by um, Gary Furman and Eric Baker. Um, we have a bunch of properties that are under GF Sports. We have the New York Riptide. We also run the New York Open, which is a tennis event, an ATP 250 tennis event that runs in the month of February at Nassau Coliseum. We also run an ATB 250 event down in Atlanta. Um, that usually runs in the July time frame. We've had to cancel that one and move it to next year. 
Um, and we've also tied in with the American Kennel Club for a deal that we're doing called Meet the Breeds. And we did our first one this year in February at the Jacob Javits Center, and we had 30,000 people show up to meet dogs and, and see the breeds of dogs and go through a whole, a whole like, festival with, with you and your pet. And that really took off and did really well. And then, you know, we're an entrepreneurial sports and event company. We're always looking for new opportunities. And um, we also own a, a thing called Wolfpack Ninja Warriors, which we're, we're redeveloping. It was out for a little while. We took it back to redevelop it. And that's going to be launching here um, pretty soon, too. So it's a diverse portfolio, a really fun portfolio, too. Yeah, it sounds like it. Sounds good. We'll continue success with that. When we return, Rich opens up and takes you into his childhood. You won't believe what he went through. That's next. You're listening to New York Sports and Beyond on 98.7 ESPN. Thanks for stopping by New York Sports and Beyond here on 98.7 ESPN. Let's conclude my conversation with Rich Lisk, Executive Vice President for GF Sports and the New York Riptide. Rich, I have to commend you, you. and this is going to be kind of an awkward transition to what we're talking about because it's been all great things. But recently you've come out publicly about growing up in an abusive household. First of all, I applaud you for your courage. I applaud you for something, for doing that and sharing that because that could not have been easy. But by reaching out and bearing your experiences, we're now able to let people know that other people go through this also because Rich sometimes, and and fortunately I did not go through it, but I have spoken to people who have, and you kind of feel like you're alone, right? You kind of feel like there's nobody going through this or has gone through this but me. But by you sharing this 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 information about your your, your past and, and, and your household, this helps other people understand that, wow, there are other people who've gone through this too. Uh, absolutely. You know, um, it was, a, it's a, and I have talked about it publicly recently and stuff, when um, I, I grew up in, in Union Beach, New Jersey, and um, my mother married um, her second marriage, and she married a, a person, and um, he, he became abusive to me at the age of 10, Till I was uh, I was at the age of 18 and at 18 I left and, and I've been on my own ever since and went to college and and, uh, and and lived a life that you probably would not have known like I I you know I don't know what people think abused people look like but I probably didn't give off that persona my family didn't really give off that persona when we were growing up we went to a Catholic high school um, we, you know, I didn't come from the, the greatest side of the tracks, but we were we were a middle class family, which on the outside you would have looked at and said, that's a normal looking, quote unquote, normal looking family. But behind closed doors, it wasn't a normal looking family. And um, and, and sports is what really kept me going. Again, I might have mentioned before, I, I thought I was going to be the shortstop of the New York Yankees. And mm-hmm. I figured out I, I couldn't hit. Um and, and that wasn't going to happen. But when I was on that field and baseball was my sport of choice, I, um, it was weird when I would stand at shortstop and I would look, those white lines became barriers for me. Nobody could touch me on that field. I couldn't get beat. I couldn't get hit. I couldn't get yelled at. I couldn't be verbally abused. I could be myself. I had a quote-unquote family next to me with my teammates, and we competed because I had that compete level so much um, that I wanted to win. And, th- and that was it. So that was my solace um, moving forward. And I think sports really got me through it. If I didn't have sports um, and an education, I don't know where I would have ended up. You come to a crossroads, especially people that have been abused. Um, eventually you come to that crossroads and you can either go left or right. And, I, and thank God something internally told me to go right. And you don't have self-esteem and you don't have, you don't think you can reach out to people. You think you're different than everybody else and different from that family and that family and that family. Um, and I, and I learned that I wasn't different. You know, this is something that happened to me at 10 years old. You know, what could a 10 year old possibly do to deserve, to, to deserve that kind of abuse? And, um, and if it wasn't for, for sports and the, and the way I thought about it, um, you know, I might have went down. I might have went down a different path. So I go to a lot of high schools um, recently and stuff. I go to colleges. I speak to people. Um, sometimes it makes people uncomfortable. It made me uncomfortable for years to talk about, it. and I didn't talk about it for years and years and years to people. Um, but I wasn't going to become the full man I wanted to become if I didn't hit it head on and start talking about it and start realizing it and start getting over the bumps that I had in my life. And when I did, I finally realized my whole potential. 
of, of being a person, not just my, my, my athletic abilities or my business abilities. It was me as a person. And, um, and I want people to know that, uh, you know, it, it's not just what you might have a connotation or think about what an abused person looks like. Cause I, I wasn't what you would have thought would have been abused person. And when I go and speak to people, um, I, I, and, and kids, I like to talk to them about, like, I was you. I am you. Mm. Like, I'll go to an, 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 a high school and sit there and say, I sat there. I didn't take gym class because I had bruises on my body because my father was strategic not to hit me in the face or where people could see it. Um, I know what some of you might be going through, and, and it actually broke through once when I was in Philadelphia. I was the GM of the Philadelphia Soul, and I went with one of my players to a school to talk, and it just came out. I wasn't expecting it. They asked me to speak. And it just flowed out of me. And at the end, this, this kid came up to me to talk to me and was asking some really good questions, but questions that a, a, a kid normally wouldn't have asked if they weren't in a bad situation. Mm-hmm. And the principal came up to me and said, uh, you know, we, we suspect he might be in an abusive household. A few weeks later, they called me back and said, you know what, we, he, he came forward, he spoke, he talked to a teacher, and we helped get him out of that situation. And the way I grew up was, you know, you were, you were silent. You didn't say anything. And my big thing to people is it's not your fault. A child did not, does not at all ever, ever, ever for any reason deserve to be hit for anything. And if they get to that point, they need to speak up. And I wish I would have spoke up earlier. Um, but I guess now that's, that's the knowledge that I have to hopefully be able to tell other people. Rich, how, how, how is that to look back and say, Okay, I should have spoken up. Uh, it wasn't my fault. But as you're going through it, you do feel it's something that you've done, right? You do think about oh, that it, it yeah. had to be something in the back of my mind that I've done. And the question is, what can I do for you to stop the abuse that you're doing to me? No, you're absolutely correct. And the way we did it was, and I think it was almost in, in, in twofold, like um, my mother, who was my biological mother, and my stepfather um my stepfather used to abuse me and my mother i think now as a 50 year old man looking back on it she was dependent upon this man to take care of her she couldn't stand on her own two feet so she would preach to me he's your father he knows what he's doing you got to take it you got to be quiet so in my mind as a 10 year old a 11 year old a 12 year old a 13 year old i must be doing something wrong like i i used to eat too much ice cream and I would get beat. Um, if you took the last of the milk, you would get beat. So those are things that I'm starting to look at saying, well, is it me? And it was weird because then I get married and I have kids and my wife always jokes at me, why do you leave the last part of the milk in the refrigerator? And I go, well, there's some habits I'm trying to break, that I'm trying mm-hmm. to break. But if I was the last person to drink that milk, then I was beat for that. And that to me, I thought, well, I'm wrong. I shouldn't do that. This is what was being told to me, and now I'm being disrespectful because I'm drinking the last part of the milk. And then you get older and you start to look at it and you say, you know, that's ridiculous. That's, that's not something you did wrong. Um, but, yeah, when, when people put that in your head because you're looking at these two people standing in front of you, they're supposed to be your nurture, they're supposed to be your nature, and they're supposed to be your protectors. And if they're telling you you're wrong and you're getting hit for that, then you're wrong, and you need to get hit for that. It took many, many years later for me to realize I wasn't wrong, and I shouldn't have been hit for that. And I want kids to understand that earlier and and speak out about it because it would save a lot of pain that I went through, but I also then look back on it, and I would not literally be standing in the position I'm standing in right this second in a good place in my life as, as, as I am if I didn't go through that. So... You know, it's that movie like sliding doors you see when they go on the subway. If you miss one subway stop for the door slid, would my life have been different? Yeah, I went through all of that and got through on the other side. Um, but I live a pretty good life right now, and I'm, and I'm content, and, and, and I'm, I'm happy with who I am. I wouldn't have gotten there if I didn't go through that. I, I hope by people hearing my message that it helps people get there quicker than what I did. And you're listening to Rich Lisk. He's the executive vice president of the New York Riptide and GF Sports. So, so I want to just clarify what you're saying, Rich. You're, what you're really saying is because you were able to persevere, because you were able to use that as a survival, 
for you to be yeah. determined that you are not going to let that defeat you, that it's going, you're going to use that as a way to say, Hey, you know what? I'm going to show you what I can do and look what I've achieved as opposed to, cause you know, you're not saying that, well, this happened to me. So now I'm doing not now I'm this way. It's, it's that you used it. Correct. Absolutely. I looked at it as a game at, wow. at, at part of me. And I don't think, I don't think consciously I was doing it. And then, I was probably doing it subconsciously because I was so competitive and I loved sports and I loved that competition that mm. years later, when I, when I finally realized what was going on, um, I did. And, and, you know, I, and I look at it as a survivor. I never wanted people to see me as a victim. Gotcha. I never wanted to be a victim. Yeah. I yeah. was a survivor. I survived it. My, my competitive juices kicked in and I would literally say, I will not let you break me. I will not let you break me, and I will do what I said. My stepfather used to tell me all the time. Now, we, we came from different backgrounds. He never graduated high school. He, was, uh, he, was, he worked at Eastern Airlines unloading and loading planes. Hated sports. Hated sports. Mm. I, on the other hand, loved sports. I think that was a conflict. He used to say to me, you'll never amount to anything Unless you, unless you get rid of sports, sports is nothing. It'll never, you'll never make it in the world of sports. And I took that as a challenge. And I said, you know what? I am going to make it in the world of sports. I might not athletically be able to do it, but I'm going to be there somehow, some way. And I use that as motivation to move forward. I wear a, I wear a bracelet that says, um, make a small change on my, on my wrist. And I live my life by the mantra of make a small change. And those small changes consisted of when I was getting hit, if I didn't cry right away, because he thought that I was weak, if you cry, you're weak. So mm. if I could absorb it and not cry, it stopped. So that was mm. a change I made. If I could focus on the, 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 the second hand on the clock, it could go quicker and, and it would get done. So I made these small changes. And, and I do that in my life now. If I'm having a bad day, I'll get up on the other side of the bed. If I, I, I'll sometimes tie my left shoe instead of my right shoe. And those little mechanisms, and I think that competition um, really helped me and, and really helped me get through it. So, um, yeah, I, I hope that answered your question. It does. It I, does. I, I sometimes, I sometimes uh, get off on the tangent, but I hope I no, don't no, have a no. question on that one. No, it's perfect, Rich. That, that's exactly what I want, and that, that's what we're talking about. Last thing on this subject. Uh, yeah. Have you been able to have the conversation with your mom and your stepdad for that closure on your part? Interesting you bring that up. Um, when I left at 18 and went to college and never went back, I was done with my stepfather. I mm -hmm. got, it was actually a, a, a story that, um, that I had a hard time telling at some point. So I was around when I was 18 years old. Um, I got hit for the last time. And he hit me and beat me in front of my girlfriend, who actually ended up being my wife. I met my wife when I was 17 in high school. We've been married for 30 X years and have three kids and it's great. But she was with me when I brought her home and um, he beat me in front of her and I got back to her. I went, we went to her house and I sat down and I said, you know, that's it. I'm done. Uh, I'm not going to have it happen to me ever again. And I went back into the house that night and I had a, a little brother and I said, you know, I'm done. You're, you're not going to abuse me anymore. I'm, I'm going to leave. And, but, but I don't want this to happen to my brother. So just know that, I'm always going to be watching to make sure that this doesn't happen. And it was the first time in my life that I stuck up for myself. Mm -hmm. I was, uh, you know, I was, I was more on the skinnier side. I, I was more introverted. I, he, I was an easy target because I wouldn't fight back ever. Cause my mother taught me, he's your father. You don't raise your hand. You don't do anything. You take what you get. And this was the first time that I stepped forward. And I think it made him step back a little bit. I'm sure he wouldn't admit it, but it was the first time that I said, that's it. It's done. You're not And he went to move to hit me again. And I said, and I'm going to tell you if, you, if you hit me again, it's not going to go the way it's always went. So you understand that. And I went to leave and uh, he grabbed me and um, I, I pulled away and I left and I never went back. So that was the closure. He and I were never, ever, ever, ever going to see eye to eye. He, um, as the point that he raised me and when we, my mother um, married him, they did change our name um, to Lisk. It's his name. It wasn't my original name. Um, that's what they wanted. So um, I never expected to have that closure with him. Um, and that was my closure that last day. He wasn't my biological father. He wasn't even my nurturing nature father. Um, so I was done. To me, he was a stranger and that was it. And I'm okay with that. 
I literally have never looked back and, uh, and ever wished that I had something different from him. Um, it took a while for my mother and I to actually talk about it. And then after I had really deep conversations with my mother, she had a different opinion about things. Um, she, um, I probably um, came down on my mom a little uh, more than, than what she was looking for. I said, you know, you were my biological mother. You should have protected me from all this. And, and you didn't. She had a lot of excuses for that. I wrote her a letter. I explained how I felt. Um, she did not respond to that letter. She didn't acknowledge it um, at all. And I said, okay, that's my closure. Um, I, I have told you how I feel. And I've learned in a long time ago, especially from my wife, who says it to me all the time, you put out the intention. You don't expect, don't expect it to come back the way you want it. And I had no expectations when I sent that letter to her. And, um, and, and she responded in, in a sense of not responding to it and not acknowledging it or accepting it. And that was fun. And then that was my closure. So um, I've been able to close that book. Rich, thank you uh, for sharing that. And thank you for continuing to share that to folks who need to hear it, to, to empower them, to give them knowledge that, you know what, there is somebody else that has gone through this. And gosh, Rich, it's not easy. It's not easy. And so I commend you and the support of your wife and your family for putting you where you are today. And you are an example that you, you can go through these things and, um, you know, and survive. And Rich, you ought to be commended because some people, some people, it it breaks them. You know what I'm saying, Rich? You know, it breaks them. It It breaks them. But you were able to to survive that. That's the sad part because there's a lot of really, really good people. There's a lot of really good futures that have been broken. And that's what makes me sad. That that's really what makes me sad because I could have easily went down that path, and something just guided me in this way. And 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 you know, I, I thank my lucky stars uh, on that. There's there's someone up there that was watching over me. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, Rich, listen. Continued success in your life. Continued thank success you. with uh, the New York Riptide. If everything goes well, uh, you guys ready uh, on on par to start again this uh, this December? Yes. We are on part of start in December. If everything goes well, the good thing about our league is that we don't start till December. So we can see how everything else opens up and then we can pick the good things and not do the things that might have went wrong and, and be ready to go. And I'd love to have you and your staff come out and sit and watch a game and meet the guys. And it's a great family fun atmosphere. And it would be my pleasure to have you guys out there. Rich, thank you for the invitation. We'll, we'll, we'll get the little crew together and see what we can do to come out there and, 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 uh, you know, I'll get one of my staff to go in net and maybe I can throw some lacrosse balls at them when they don't do what I ask you them to do. You can do that. <laughs> we'll do that. You just tell me who you want in the net. We'll put them in the big goalie equipment and you take care of it. That's our, that's my pleasure. That's the fun stuff. <laughs> Rich, once again, give us your website so we can sign up for the virtual 5K at the end of the month. Sure. com. Rich, once again, thanks again, and uh, thanks for all you do, my friend. We'll talk soon. Great meeting you. My pleasure. Thank you, Larry. Appreciate it. That concludes this edition of New York Sports and Beyond. We thank you for listening. We'll join you during the week on ESPN New York tonight and right back here next Sunday morning on New York Sports and Beyond. For my producer, primetime Ray Santiago, he's an all-world producer, by the way, I'm Larry Hardesty. The conversation continues right now, 24-7 on 98.7 ESPN.